Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Per, this is your girl Priscilla. And this is Norma. And you're listening to a mini episode of It's, it's the Mystery, mystery for, for Me. me. Da, da, da. Welcome back to It's the Mystery for Me. This is our first mini episode, and I think the idea behind it is going to be just to share stories that are currently in the news. And for that reason, that's usually why they are mini, because we don't have all of the details yet, and the case hasn't unfolded the way the other stories we've told have unfolded, in the sense that there doesn't seem to be any sort of ending right now. Just it's a question still mark. developing pretty much right exactly thank you for being patient with us as we roll out our first mini episode because honestly i was just waiting to see if there would be any more information on this case and if you've been listening to the podcast you know what case i'm talking about it's the lauren smith fields case so on today's episode i'm going to lay out all of the details that i am privy to and as we go ahead and do other podcast episodes like you know, our regular Tuesday programming, we will let you guys know of any type of developments from this case in particular. So in terms of sources for today's episode, I had to primarily just read a bunch of articles and try to piece together all of the articles to essentially present to you guys this one story. But what I found interesting was that when the whole Gabby Petito thing happened, 2020 released an episode about a month after they found her body okay this Mm -hmm. episode came out october 29th gabby petito was found mid-september 2020 has not done an episode on lauren smith fields so and lauren smith fields i mean if we're looking at the same timeline it's a mid-december mid-december is when these events occur and again like we're at the end of february i can't Mm say february how the how do I say February? Am I saying it February? right? February? I don't know. We're at the end of Feb <laughs> and nothing from 2020. Just just think about that for a second. Why is it that Gabby Petito got all this attention? I mean, we know mm-hmm. the answer, right? But yeah. but it's just a prime example if you're like in full denial that this, you know, the white woman, the white woman, what is it called? Missing white woman syndrome? syndrome yeah. If mm-hmm. you're in denial that missing white woman syndrome exists, this is exhibit a all right so back to the sources of course there's the new york times there's the independent article there's nbc connecticut daily mail um i'm pretty sure there's like ct post there's like just a bunch of articles but either way they're all going to be listed on our website and that website is going to be accessible through today's show notes as well but in case you don't know it it's www.itsthemysteryforme.com Before we dive into today's case, just want to clarify something. Because it is still a developing story, 
Matthew LaFountain, white male, 37 years old, who was the last person to see Lauren Smith Fields alive, is presumed innocent until he is proven guilty. So keep that in mind as you listen to today's episode. Without further ado, this is the Lauren Smith Fields case. Lauren Smith Fields was born on January 23rd, 1998. I'm not sure if she was specifically born in Connecticut, but this story takes place in Connecticut. In the New York Times article, Lauren's mom describes her as being the ultimate girly girl. She loved getting her nails done, okay? She was also super motivated to finish college and to become a physical therapist. She had graduated from Stanford High School, and she was enrolled at the Norwalk Community College in Connecticut. If you look at her Instagram, you're going to see that she was just that girl. She was the Mm -hmm. it girl, okay? She's giving influencer vibes. She's giving black girl magic vibes. She was just everything. Her Instagram page is so Lala, and I'm just going to tell you guys, so is like S and then four O's, L-A. L-A-A. So that's her page. I got my contacts in. Okay. Like, look at those pictures. I mean, I wiped my entire Instagram because this is the kind of aesthetics I've been trying to achieve forever. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she's just serving effortlessly. Like, what? So there has been a lot of controversy around this case because it involves a dating app. And, and that dating app happens to be And has Bumble, like, released a statement about this, just out of curiosity? Okay, so, yeah, we gonna get to that. We gonna get to that. So, Lauren apparently had a Bumble date with a 37-year-old white man, okay? His name is Matthew LaFountain. Now, I don't know if it's LaFontaine. I don't know. I'm gonna just say LaFountain. So... This was happening December 11th. Wait, did you try to Google how to pronounce the last name? I ain't Googling that, okay? Like, it says La and then Fountain. La Fountain. If it was La Fontaine, I feel like it would have a different spelling. Anyways. Wait, it's literally spelled La and Fountain? Yes. That's strange. Okay. Now that we're, we've debunked that. So they had a date on December 11th in her apartment in Connecticut. According to the New York Times, she invited him over to her apartment after three days of chatting. And those are their exact words. Was there a conversation like posted? I haven't seen anything like that. Oh, okay. And you already know how that goes. Like some of these, like not only just Bumble, but a lot of them, these dating apps or whatever, they're going to want a subpoena before they release certain information. Mm -hmm. So this is information that maybe her family might have, but I have not seen it in any article. Okay, a subpoena technically is not always needed, right? But when a subpoena is issued, then the person basically has to do what it says. But sometimes just public encouragement, right? On like company pages and things like that, or um, just public outrage about the situation can basically act as a subpoena and will make certain companies turn over certain details. Now, what happens next in her apartment is unclear, but evidently she's found dead on December 12th of 2021. And this is a day after. When was the date? December 11th? Yeah. So this is like the next day. So you're probably just wondering, like, wait, how does she go from, like, just having this date and stuff to now she's found dead? So her date does call 911, and they do come to the scene and assess the situation. 
So you figured that he probably called in the morning when he wakes up and he sees that he can't wake her up, that she's just kind of, she's just dead, apparently. So her family was able to obtain an incident report and it gave a little bit more details as to what might have transpired. And this is actually in an article by Rolling Stone that was written, let me see when it was published. This was published in January, January 16th, okay? So this incident report says that Lauren asked Matthew for $40 for her nails and to meet her at her home, okay, in Connecticut. And that apparently they took shots of tequila at that point in time. He then says that Lauren became very sick and she was in the bathroom just throwing up. And that even though she was sick, she came back out and they still continued to drink. That seems very weird. Mm-hmm. But okay. Right. I mean, if you see that she's sick, and why? why would you then continue to drink? Yeah. I don't know. So he also apparently said that they were playing games, though I don't know what kind of games he means. Board games? I don't know. They ate food, apparently, too, and watched a movie. And he said that during the movie that Lauren got a text and that she left the apartment. And apparently this text was from her brother. Her brother was asking her to bring out some clothes that he had left there or something like that. He says that he saw her go outside. He, meaning Matthew, sees her go outside. And then she comes back inside. And when she comes back inside, she goes straight to the bathroom and she's there for like 10, 15, 20 minutes. He says that he thought that part was odd that when she came in, she went straight to the bathroom. But he felt like it wasn't his place to say anything. Huh? There's just a lot of question marks in that rendition. Mm -hmm. He says that eventually they continued to watch the movie. They finished a bottle of alcohol. Apparently it was tequila. And she eventually fell asleep on the couch. He told officers that he carried her to her room and they both fell asleep there. And he says that at 3 a.m., Basically, he got up to use the bathroom and that she was sound asleep. Like, he could even hear her snoring. And at 6.30, though, she was laying on her right side with blood coming out her nostril. And that is actually when he calls a cop. So it's around 6.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. And I should have mentioned that the incident report is from Matthew's point of view. Or at least that's how it appears to be. I mean, when a police officer takes a report... They will take it from people who are close to the situation. In this case, Matthew was the one who woke up next to Lauren, who was deceased. So, of course, the police report is going to be reflective of really just his point of view. So Rolling Stone does interview Lauren's brother and they ask him, like, did you come by and, you know, get clothes from her? And he says that he did. Her brother's name is Lakeem. And he just said, you know, he had texted her to pick up his clothes and she was outside just chatting it up with him for a little bit before she went inside. But he wants to emphasize that during this interaction, he did not notice anything wrong with his sister, that she came off as normal and that if he had noticed something, he would have said something like, yo, what's going on? Like, why do you look like X, Y, and Z? But he's like, I, that just wasn't the case here. Mm. So this case has caused an uproar for many reasons. I think the first being that, okay, she was on this date and the way the media portrayed it as for at first, like especially saying that she had asked for $40 for her nails, 
they made it seem like she was in the wrong almost. That's how I read it when I first came across this article. They made it sound like, oh, she was like, well, this is what happened when you're out here, like, asking men for money. Which Mm -hmm. I'm just like, that's a peculiar way to spin a story about a girl who dies in the presence of her date. Right. And would it be spun this way if it were any other person of a different race? I don't think so. Because her brother also emphasizes in this article that, like, when it came time to plan her funeral, they didn't even have to do her nails because they were already done. So her whole family is just, like, really outraged by the idea that, like, okay, she asked you for money. It just doesn't sound right to them. Mm -hmm. Another thing that family has taken issue with is how they were told about her death. Well, they actually weren't informed about her death. What happened was that her mom and her brother, the brother that had stopped by her house that day, right? They went to her home because they hadn't heard from Lauren. And when they got to her door, there was a note on the door. This note apparently said, you know, call this number. And it was the number of her landlord. And when they called the number, the landlord informed them that Lauren was dead. That's how they found out? Yes. Then he gave them the number of the detective on the case. And apparently this is a common occurrence. The Bridgeport police also failed to notify the family of Brenda Lee Rawls, who also unfortunately passed away on the same day as Lauren. So they did not notify her family either that she had passed. That's so strange to me. It's just bizarre. Isn't that like the first thing you do? Mm Mm-hmm notify the family a note on the door this is already a crushing blow but like wow just to leave a note like that so they end up calling the detective because the landlord gives the detective's number to them and there seems to be two detectives who were in charge of her case one being detective kevin cronin and one being detective angel janos and this is from an ABC News article. I'm not sure which of these detectives her brother spoke to, but what the detective says, honestly, will have you punching the air. Basically, the detective was speaking about Matthew, right? Her bumble date, as not in a detective-like fashion. He was just, he almost sounded like he was defending Matthew and, you know, like, he's a good guy. Like, he wouldn't do something like this, that kind of tone. Um, and that bothered Lauren's brother because it sounds to me like you're biased oh yeah absolutely and if you're biased how are you going to make sure my sister gets justice when he starts to ask the detective more questions the detective apparently told him not to call him again and hung up the phone on him wow it's just disgusting behavior disgusting this is someone's loved one and you're Mm -hmm. treating them like this yeah especially you know Matthew was the last person that to saw see her, her alive, right. you know, to just cross him out and say like, oh no, he's not a suspect so early on. Right. It's just so weird. And to put your own, you know, your own opinion into it and say, he's a nice guy. That's yeah. so unprofessional. Yes. And and you're right. They, they didn't see him as a suspect early on at all. You might think Matthew's a nice dude, but Ted Bundy apparently was really nice too. You cannot base it off of just that. You have to do real investigative work. I know a lot of people who have one mask on and they take off the other one and you'd be surprised. They would have you fooled. So it's just about doing detective work. That's it. The police did not identify him to the public immediately and a lot of the articles didn't as well. According to the Connecticut Post, it was her family who announced it. That it was Matthew La Fountain. La oh, Fountain. really? Yeah. 
Which again, that's another thing where, but you see this a lot in certain cases, even ones that we've covered where certain suspects' names will be released, right? And Mm -hmm. they happen to be black. And then like when it's a white suspect or something like that, it's not always the case that their names get released as quickly. Yeah. So who is Matthew LaFountain? According to the Connecticut Post, he is in his 30s and single, quote unquote. According to Daily Mail, he is a design engineer for a Connecticut-based company named Times Microwave Systems. This company apparently is responsible for um, making cables for like telecommunication stuff, aerospace, military, etc. Matthew does have a lawyer. His lawyer's name is Peter. And Peter stated in the Connecticut Post that his client, Matthew, has been cooperating with the police. In another article, his lawyer stated that Matthew, quote, is not the main focus of the investigation. And, and end quote. And um, the lawyer also thinks it's the media that has made him the focus of the investigation. How is he that not was from the, the independent focus. article. How is he not the focus of the investigation? You're the last person who saw her alive. You called 911. You stayed over her house. Literally. You found her dead. Yeah. In her bed. You might be the number one suspect, bro. It doesn't get any more, you know, closer to the source than that. Come on. His lawyer shouldn't have even said anything Listen, someone watching Blue's Clues could have figured out this shit with a crayon and a notebook. Okay? Like, they would (laughs) have... This is a number one suspect, Steve. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um... This part irks me a lot. His lawyer also says that his client has not ruled out any type of legal action, meaning taking legal action against the family, the police, things like that. The lawyer then offers condolences to the Smithfields family on behalf of Matthew. According to the Independent article, is that Matthew expresses his sincere condolences to Lauren Smithfield's family for this tragedy that took place. And wants her family to find some peace after this heartbreak and loss. Don't worry, because her family also has an attorney, as they should. I mean, a couple of things have been dropped here. A lot of balls have been dropped here. I'm glad Mm -hmm. they lawyered up. And their lawyer basically was like, yeah, no thanks. This does nothing for them. This is not going to bring them comfort. What's going to bring them comfort, honestly, is a full-fledged investigation. Her story gained a lot of traction because Cardi B also tweeted about her story, okay? And this made it shoot up in popularity in the sense that all of a sudden it was getting the media time that it deserved. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot of articles popping up around that date about her. And this date was around January 23rd. So Cardi B tweets a picture of Matthew LaFountain. Let me show you the picture. This is supposed to be like this creepy guy from one of these movies. I forgot which one. And she tweets, this is so scary. A fictional murderer character, but in real life. Justice for Loring, Connecticut. You have failed that young lady. Then her other tweet says, nah, this man don't look old. And it's not old at... (laughs) It's a lot of (laughs) typos. Basically, she's saying this man don't look old and is not old at all. And yet the media made it seem like she was with this old ass man looking to trick on her. I'm disgusted on how they spin the narrative, especially because I see people saying online, that's what she gets. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. How when I first read the story, I didn't even think it was somebody in their 30s, meaning the guy was in his 30s. Yeah. Because the headline I was seeing was like, oh, this girl, like, she wanted $40 for her nails, and, like, she met this guy offline, and he's this white guy. And I was, immediately, 
I think I a lot of people like, were like, oh, so you met someone Like a on- sugar daddy. Right. Like someone very I thought it old. was like, honestly, giving very old vibes. So I 100% agree with Cardi. So, I mean, TMZ how was old, writing about how this. Old is she? I'm sorry. How old would she be now? Lauren was 23 years old at the time. So it's not And she was like, going to turn 24. Far-fetched for a 23-year-old to go on a date with a 37-year-old. No, not at all. Right. So because of Cardi B, this story is now plastered everywhere. I mean, it's on TMZ. It's on like major news outlets like ABC and things like that. And before you know it, the coroner comes back with the autopsy results. I was just about to ask you about that. This was at the end of January, by the way, right around the time that Cardi B tweeted. They said that it's an accidental death. Specifically, and this is from NBC Connecticut, it says that she died of acute intoxication due to the combined effects of fentanyl, promethazine, hydroxine, and alcohol. So fentanyl will kill you. Yeah. You yes. know, that that's what killed her. So what? How, how did this even get in the mix, though? I'm just confused. So it sounds like they were partying. He probably brought drugs over, you know. It, it could even been, like, the fentanyl could have been in, like, Coke, and you yeah. snort it, you know? Right. And you don't know that there's fentanyl in it, right? Right. That can kill you. Yeah. But my thing is, you see drug dealers all the time getting charged and going to prison for killing people that they didn't directly kill, right? Right. So my thing is, like, I feel that he should be responsible for her death. Even if it's not, to him, intentional, he provided the drugs right I mean, that's what it seems like right i mean listen that's criminal law taught like. us that it, even if it's just dangerous to do it you could get charged with murder yeah if you just knew it was dangerous right lauren's family attorney gets the results and and he tweets the following i've never seen a medical examiner conclude a mixer of drugs as an accident without knowing who provided the drugs or how it was ingested lauren didn't use drugs which is true how is it like Huh? Just saying it's an accident and slapping that label on it, I think can do more harm than good. Okay? Yeah. Because then the police might just brush it under the rug and say, you know, that, well, case closed. Yeah, the case is closed. And let me also be clear Matthew is not considered a suspect, not even today. And his attorney has said in an article like that he's not going to comment whether or not the police have questioned Matthew since their initial questioning on the day of her death like to me that's a lot of like mystery there there's too much mystery there and we need i feel like at this point you know any evidence that could have been found in that moment is gone you know what i'm saying like i forgot to talk about the evidence that her family saw i i was okay i meant like evidence from matthew like what if he had drugs at his house he at this point like flushed it down the toilet yeah no that's what i mean you mean like basically they they didn't do what they had to do in terms of like searching and yeah. terms of taking him serious as a suspect. Yeah, I agree. Um, I should have also said in the Rolling Stone article, it actually says that the police did confiscate her phone, Lauren's phone, and that they found 1300 plus dollars in cash, her keys and her passport. I mean, if she already has 1300 plus dollars in cash again, right? Like she doesn't Why need your she $40. Need $40? So that part of the story just does not 
it doesn't sound right. Her family also up. cleaned her home um, at the end of December, and her family found a used condom with semen in the trash, lubrication, and bloody sheets, as well as an unidentified pill. And again, this is coming directly from the Rolling Stone article. So how is it that her family found this stuff and the police didn't? Right. So did the police not confiscate? So this is the problem right here. I think the police did not initially treat this as a crime scene. By not doing that, you've lost a lot of evidence. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you treat this as a crime scene? That don't make no damn sense. So you wanted to know what Bumble said at the beginning. So Bumble has replied, but Bumble did not post anything about this until the end of January, in particular, January 21st. And it might have honestly been due to a lot of media pressure. I mean, people were hashtagging under their other posts like Justice for Lauren Smith Fields. Okay, so they Mm -hmm. finally posted the following. And this was a statement from their founder and CEO, Whitney Wolf Hurd. For those who may not know, this past December, one of our Bumble community members, Lauren Smith Fields, a vibrant young woman, passed away before her time in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Lauren's passing has sparked a range of emotions for all those following her case. Like you, I am deeply saddened by this loss and eager for her family and friends to get the answers they seek. As the circumstances around Lauren's untimely death are still under investigation, our team has offered our full support to Lauren's family as well as the Bridgeport police. As a mother, my heart goes out to Lauren's parents and loved ones. Every parent deserves to know what has happened to their child, and Lauren deserves nothing less than our collective attention and a thorough and serious investigation. They were spot on with that, but why Mm -hmm. are you releasing this statement more than a month afterwards instead of like right away right that to me is concerning then they released something else on january 26th this would be after cardi b had tweeted and they said with additional information about the death of lauren smith fields coming to light we continue to be unsettled by this loss we empathize with lauren's family friends and beloved community and we stand by our statement that every parent deserves to know what has happened to their child this matter deserves a thorough and serious investigation for the fields family to get justice for lauren So that was January 26th. Of course, like her autopsy results had also been released at that point in time. Mm -hmm. But what else are they doing? That's my question. Like, if anything, they have a huge platform. They could be posting about this every week. They could be posting about this every day. They could be, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. what kind of security measures are you thinking about putting in place because of this? I think that they could even have like an open forum where um, people can come forward and share their experiences. Like, and the mishaps that happened with Bumble. You know what I'm saying? But I, I just think with that kind of platform, they should be talking about it more. Because honestly, after that, it's been just regular schmegular posts. You wouldn't even know that something happened, right? right? Like the link in their bio is shop.bumble.com. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what is that? <laughs> and the first... You know, and all their posts are like, normalize dating yourself, welcome, ways to take pressure off this Valentine's Day, dating resolutions, all this stuff. And I'm just like, y'all could really use your platform in a different way. Mm -hmm. That's my two cents. I agree. I don't think that posting a statement those two times, what does that amount to? Right. You know? Yeah. What impact is that really having? It's just words. Yes. You know? 
Yeah. Where is the case stand right now? What's happening? Like I said, her family hired an attorney. They did file a notice of claim, which basically puts people on notice like, hey, I'm going to sue you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will do a notice of claim because of, you know, different types of statutes of limitations, right? Like, I don't know what the statute of limitations would be on this, but they went ahead and filed a notice of claim. I try to look for it in the public system. I could not find the notice of claim, but this is what has been reported by different articles. Lauren's family ordered an independent autopsy as well, but we don't know the results of that just yet. So you're probably wondering about the detectives on this case, especially their questionable behavior in in the beginning, right? It seems like to me, even though I spoke about it as if it was one detective, it seems like this definitely applied to two detectives because both of the detectives I named before, they have been suspended as of like end of January from this case. And from the Brenda case as well, Brenda Lee Rawls case. Okay, so there definitely has been... Wait, they were handling that case too? Yes. Wow. Yes, they were, which is like, is just deplorable. And if you listen to our other podcast episode, I think I mentioned that there was like a four-page report that had come out and I wanted to read it. Well, the four-page report kind of just summarizes the fact that the acting chief of police, her name is Rebecca Garcia. This four-page report was a timeline of events that she was sending to the Board of Police Commissioner chairperson. His name is Daniel Roach. And it was just summarizing events. Like one of the things she mentioned was the fact that she asked for these officers to be pulled off of the case. She asked for an internal affairs investigation to happen. It honestly sounded to me like this was a cover your ass report. That's what it came out to me like. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, these are all the times that I actually asked for these officers to be, you know, investigated or this to happen or that to happen. She had the dates, y'all. She was ready. But sometimes you got to be ready because, like, I was doing my job. But because this case is just giving, like, such, like, question mark vibes, I'm just like, "Uh, you probably are just like, listen, a lot of people are going to be fired from this. I just don't want to be one of them. I did what I did. I, I, I said what I said type of thing. So the, the report basically just summarizes everything. And I saw this report within the Connecticut Post. And this report was issued at the beginning of Feb. I'm not even going to say February. Oh, I think I said it right. You said it right. Okay, anyways. And that's it. That's all the information I have about Lauren Smith Fields, which is, you know, not a lot at all. Mm-hmm. The case is still developing. We will definitely keep you guys apprised of what's going on okay i'm gonna be under bumble's pictures asking for justice for lauren i mean we could there's a lot of things that could be done this is the bridgeport police department right so you could reach out to the bridgeport police department ask them what's being done with the lauren smith fields case according to google the bridgeport police department phone number is 203-581-5100 i hope that we're able to get justice for lauren and that her family and friends are able to get the answers that they deserve. You deserve to know what has happened, right? Mm -hmm. Based off of her autopsy though, and I think pressures from the public, the Bridgeport Police Department have said that they are launching an actual investigation into the case. Like, sounds to me like a criminal investigation into the case. Now, whether or not that will present her family with answers, that's to be determined. But the hope is that they will get answers i hope that they do absolutely get answers i hope that they also sue the police department because 
It's just yes. complete Please take them. Please take them to the cleaners. Please. Sometimes you got to hit them where it's going to hurt. It's in crazy their that for this them is, to change it. That this is even happening now. Right. In today's it's, age. Yes. <laughs> this you is know? insane. And it's the crazy. fact that, again, we're not seeing a lot of coverage about her case. Like, have you seen anything about her case in the last, like, two or three weeks? No. Barely. No. But if you hear this and you're listening to this episode, please. There are a lot of ways that you, as a listener, can help. You can donate to Lauren Smithfield's family's um, GoFundMe. You can give the Bridgeport Police Department a call and just ask them what's being done. You can write under Bumble's pictures, just like Justice for Lauren, or ask them what they're doing, you know, to protect they're, you know, they're the the Bumble app users from this type of scenario. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. And we send Lauren's family well wishes. We really hope that y'all get the answers that you deserve. Tune in next mm-hmm. week for a brand new episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Be safe out there.